Master of None has just dropped, and we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, and I'm here today to talk about the new Netflix comedy, Master of None. And I'm joined by a man who sometimes goes by the name Little Funyun or Princess Love, depending on where he is, the one and only Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how you doing? Mike, what's up? You dig on Funyuns? Are you down with Funyuns? I'm down with Funyuns. I like, I'm enjoying Funyuns. I'm not so much about the aftertaste of Funyuns, but I guess I can kill that with some uh, some nice artisanal ice cream made with sesame. I was just going to say, there are ways you can get rid of that aftertaste. Mike, you got to get down with Funyuns. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm very thankful. Uh, this is sort of an interesting deal where it's kind of a bonus episode of our show, Most Shows Recapped. We wanted to talk to you about a show that I think a lot of people are talking about and that we thought was definitely worth its own episode to talk about this entire season of master of none and we won't have another episode of most shows recap this week because rob and josh are out so this is a perfect opportunity for me to sit down with somebody who uh, i really love talking especially about sitcoms with you uh mike and this is a great one because it's just it's unique it's interesting it's like some things but also very different um and i think each one of the 10 episodes brings a little bit of something different to the table so i'm very excited to talk to you about this whole season of master of none uh and really get your thoughts on how everything played out where this fits in the landscape of television of things that have gone before and things that are airing now so very happy to be here happy to be talking to you specifically about it and excited to get this started yeah the feelings are completely mutual i'm ready for us to move into an apartment together and spend a a whole year together cleaning our dirty clothes off the floor (laughs) oh man that's fantastic just uh just mornings you know like uh, i don't (laughs) mike we are not going to make any sort of arrangement based on whose clothes may be left where that is not going to definitely not know that i'm going to make that clear (laughs) from the start uh because uh, you know that's what people should do nowadays people should be nice to each other not me exactly so for those of you that may have stumbled into this and have no idea what we're talking about master of none is one of the most recent netflix comedy series to drop it is uh comedian aziz ansari probably most well known for his work on parks and rec which antonio and i previously recapped here on post show recaps this is really his baby ironically they talk about babies in the first episode but we'll get to that uh this is his brainchild and it's sort of cover it, it depicts a character named dev who's very much like ansari and it's it's very uh it's very episodic both literally and figuratively in terms of uh, comparing it to other typical sitcoms, it is much more of a self-contained plot within each episode. There are more overarching plot lines that we're going to get into, I'm sure, but it almost seems like each episode is like a 30-minute movie where you can sort of put one on and not need to worry about any sort of previous given circumstances and still be able to enjoy it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, there are a lot of comparisons floating around out there calling this show like a millennial Louis uh, or a younger version of Louis or a happier version of Louis. And there is some comparison, but I think it really rests mainly in what you just described, which is that each episode is somewhat self-contained on a topic, uh, that it is almost like a little short on that topic, and that even though there are continual storylines like the sickening uh, and the things that are going on with Rachel um, and so forth and so on, there there really are – these episodes are on a topic. They're presented that way. Uh, they're presented with a little credits at the beginning and a different little title for each episode uh, and the title for each episode tends to be typically what the episode is about whether it's mornings or the other man or indians on tv or parents or things like that um there you know you've got a kind of a self-contained topic there that each episode is about so there's some really interesting things that are going on on tv that way right now mike do you know the name of the sitcom that's currently airing where it's sort of jumbled up a little bit like louis it's a network show and there's maybe 
two or three different stories per episode. And sometimes they intersect and sometimes they don't. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're talking about Modern Family? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's funny. Modern. Fa- it, it would be more like Modern Family's pilot episode where you don't realize that they're all part of the same story until yeah. the end of the episode. No, I forget what show this is. I don't. I want to say it's Happy Endings, but I don't think that's right. Um, but there's a TV show currently airing. I believe it's a new network sitcom that is presenting just disjointed stories that aren't totally connected mm. uh, and that don't make a ton of sense, but maybe are similar thematically. And I think that what I really liked about this, just from the jump and the overarching kind of thing, is that each of these episodes is sort of a rumination on a theme, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that, that each theme kind of plays out over the course of those episodes. And then we don't necessarily see those themes uh, kind of continuing to weigh down on our characters uh, throughout the course of the series. So I think that that's all really great. So for those of you that you know have not watched the series at all, I would say pause this right here and watch it. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll sort of do, kind of go through as chronologically as we can, uh, since I know at the time of recording this, not everyone has probably watched all the episodes since they're 10 episodes and you really want to savor them. Uh, so we'll try to remain as spoiler-free as possible. But just so you know, I mean, as Antonio just said, a lot of things come and go in different places. And uh, that is most pertinent here, actually, for if we're ushering ourselves into episode one, plan B, with this character, Rachel, played by Noelle Well, formerly of SNL, and I'd, I'd heard some ruminations of her being cast on the show, but I'll be honest, I did not expect her to return in any sort of capacity moving forward. So, um, I mean, we could talk more about her role later, but, I mean, let's talk about this opening scene, Antonio, because it it's quite the opening to the show, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's interesting, because I think that there are a lot of people who maybe were a little turned off by this being the very first scene of the show. Uh, you've got a, a, just a sex scene. Uh, it's not super graphic or anything, yeah. uh, but it is most clearly a sex scene. Uh, and we have, obviously, the uncomfortable, unfortunate incident that occurs. Uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of sitcom, a lot of stand-up comics like Aziz Ansari uh, draw a lot of their stand-up from their life experiences. I'm not sure if this is a thing that happened to somebody, <laughs> but I could see this happening, and I think it's pretty funny. And I really enjoy the immediate Googling uh, in bed of the things that are possible with everything that went down. I just thought that was really funny. But I do think it's interesting that this was the first... Uh, there had to be some discussion like, well, if we start with this kind of scene, what are people going to think about our show? And I have seen comparisons out there where people were worried, oh, well, is this just going to be like girls or other shows that they maybe don't like as much that uh, are more sex oriented? And this, you know, there's a couple of sexual plot lines on Master of None, but it is certainly not a show strictly about uh, sex or people of this age engaging in, in how their sexual practices are. And think some of the stuff is funny, but not, it's certainly not the whole thing. I'm so intrigued as to why this is the first episode, uh, just because I feel like it. I mean, I think it does a good job of sort of laying foundation as to who Dev is. But I feel like we're going to talk about the parents episode, which is the next episode in a little bit. But I feel like that is like, you know, Aziz Ansari is, is calls that like his his most his favorite episode of the series thus far. So I'm wondering, you know, I wonder if, if they had this sort of structure laid out all along or if they filmed all the episodes and then Aziz said, oh, you know what, let's make plan B first just because I want to I want to throw that out there. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it does bookend the series with what happens with Rachel, obviously, um, the coming together and then the the coming apart uh, and, you know, having that be the first and last kind of thing that goes throughout the series does set up a little bit better of an arc. 
Uh, and so the series begins with, uh, their encounter. And then it, you know, as it, as the series draws to a close, they're talking about remembering that encounter or saying good things about it. Uh, and then ultimately we know where the series leaves them. So, uh, I do think that having that be where you start does set that up for a bookend better. But I agree with you that this is a very interesting first episode. One of the things that I liked about the first episode that you don't necessarily get uh, throughout the series is you do get uh, kind of a different look at uh, all the different friends that Aziz has uh, that are available kind of for him to talk to and talk about. They don't appear on every episode, mm. um, which is unfortunate, uh, but it's not necessarily a show about that. But I like that we've got another character establishing episode right from the jump. And I think that that's important for characters like Andre and Denise uh, and, and stuff like that. So I think that that, that helps uh, having this as the first episode as well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about his group of friends because they are definitely an eclectic bunch. I mean, you have... Uh, and literally in terms of like ethnic diversity, I mean, as, as Dev is obviously Indian. You have Denise, who's played by, a, a, I think, a comic by the name of Lena Waithe, who is black and gay. You have Brian, who we'll see actually in the next episode, who's Asian. And then you have Arnold, played by Eric Wareheim, probably most well known for his work on Tim and Eric awesome show, Great Job. Uh, Great job. It's, I'm, are you a fan of that show, Antonio? Yeah, I love Tim and Eric. Yeah, so do I. So it was, it's really fun to see him kind of still bring that, that weirdness to this show as well. Uh, so he plays he plays Arnold, and it's interesting too because we sort of each of the friends also kind of has their own little storyline as well, or at least their time to sort of step forward and play roles with Dev. I mean, Arnold will have his in with his you know in the grandparents episode. Brian will obviously have a huge role in next episode. Denise has the one in, in the episode The Other Man. So it is weird that like they're sort of these secondary characters, and I agree. I guess maybe the show was like. They just looked at the show on paper and said, this episode on paper, and said, oh, this is probably the best thing that sort of paints a, a character of who Dev is and what the supporting characters are. We're not going to meet the parents, but we do meet his friends and we do meet Rachel, who will obviously become a more pivotal character a few episodes in. Yeah, and I think that that's, I think that that's right. I think that the, the Rachel part is really the key, but also setting up Arnold and Denise uh, is important uh, as they're sort of his confidants throughout. Um, and yeah, it, it it's hard when you make a show with Eric, uh, Eric Wareheim. It, it, he is so interesting of a guy uh, that sometimes I don't think, and then that will be some of the minor criticisms we'll talk about when we get to some of these later episodes, doesn't always fit on this show, and then yep. sometimes he's the funniest thing on the show, so it's hard. Yeah. And one thing I will say, and again, this is probably a, a minor criticism, again, because I think we can, I speak for both of us when I said we, overall, we both really like the show, but yeah, the acting is is still a little bit of a question mark for me. Um, I think there are some really great performances out there. I mean, obviously, Aziz is performing stuff that obviously really resonates with him, so I think he does a fantastic job with it. Noel Wells absolutely knocks it out of the park. But there are some of these scenes, specifically when he's sitting around with his friends, when they sort of like either they rush through lines or the lines sound stilted for some reason. And you can tell, like, if, if this gets renewed for a second season, once Aziz started to kind of understand the voices of the actors more, he'll be able to write more lines for them. Because there were some lines that, you know, Eric Wareheim specifically was saying that didn't sound like him, it sounded like something Aziz would say. Yeah, I think it, I think there's a lot of that going on, and I think that that's hard. And I think that 
we, if you think about the, the pedigree of this show, which we sort of loosely touched on, you loosely touched on from the jump, but the Parks and Rec connections run really deep. I mean, we've got Alan Yang involved in the show, uh, who is uh, kind of the co with disease of running the show. And Alan Yang was deep in the Parks and Rec writers room for a really long time. Mike Shore, the co-creator of Parks and Rec is an EP on this show. Uh, and so there are connections there. And Parks and Rec is a show that started really poorly when the writers didn't really know the characters that well. Uh, maybe they knew certain aspects of them, but they didn't have the they didn't have them flushed out to the point where they they later would in season two or three. Uh, and the tone was affected as a result. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's natural for a show to not necessarily, especially a sitcom, to not necessarily have all the characters perfectly rounded into form right away. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that it's really interesting to see with Eric specifically how this plays out uh, through the course of the season, yeah. uh, playing you know playing uh, Arnold throughout. But uh, I think that it it does manifest a little bit in these early episodes. It's interesting. Plan B is also obviously about. Forming relationships, keeping relationships, having kids, taking the next step, uh, doing those sorts of things at that age in your early to mid 30s. Um, and, you know, juxtapose that to parents, which is the next episode mm-hmm. about the, the decisions that parents had made and coming here and maybe how the people that are that age should have a little more respect for that and should be more thankful and where that all fits in the great circle of life. So if you juxtapose it with parents as well, I think that plan B also works uh, because it's about a bunch of people who aren't ready uh, yeah. to be parents or who are ready but maybe are regretting their choices. And so I do think that it fits there. Um, what did you think about... <laughs> what did you think about the ridiculousness of of Andre or of, of Arnold at the uh, the bounce house, the bouncy castle? Yeah, I mean that did come across the. It's interesting. I've been I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld recently. Uh, just I never really watched it before. I know you're stepping your Seinfeld game up. I, this I is know. impressive, and I'm very appreciative of it. But I'm sort of almost walked into a lot of these episodes with the mindset of like. All right, I'm ready for over-the-top characters and situations where the characters dig holes for themselves. And uh, so I'll say, kind of correlating that with the with you know uh, with you know getting into the bounce house, I feel like that was a sort of like almost Kramer-like move, uh, where it is sort of like a larger-than-life character type of thing that didn't exactly play to reality. But I will say, kind of tying into that, that a lot of these episodes. Like, there's conflict that happens in them, and I'm expecting the conflict to either carry over or if it to have, like, resounding effects that sort of ends with the characters down on their luck. But almost all these episodes seem to end on some sort of happier, uplifting note. And maybe that's sort of that Parks effect coming in as well. I mean, if I could kind of give, like, a tagline for this show, I would kind of call it, like, the stylistic elements of Louie with a sweet tooth. In that it's able to pursue these self-sufficient stories, but at the same time, Aziz has this way of kind of spinning things to have a hopeful ending to it. Uh, except for this first episode, actually. I feel like this episode might actually have the darkest ending of all ten episodes in the series. Yeah, t- talk, talk more about that. I mean, I, I feel the same way. I feel like this first episode is a little bit dark. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure if there was, let's say, the moral of the story is. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sure what the ultimate decision that the episode was trying to come to on kind of the, the different paths. I mean, what do you, what, so talk a little bit more about that ending in the darkness and, and how you felt about it generally. Yeah. So it's interesting because I feel like Dev is not a flawless individual. He definitely has, you know, specifically in his relationship with Rachel that will come up in several episodes, he does have the propensity to sometimes be self 
selfish or mean or play things off as silly and funny, which again probably speaks more towards Aziz as a person as well. But this ending, which is basically that uh, you know Aziz is Dev is at a party uh, and he ends up kind of taking care of his friend's kids, and he has sort of this grand fantasy of grandeur beforehand about like if I had kids, I'd be the best father ever, and it'd be like the fifties. And then it turns out that these kids are for lack of a better term, like, horrible kids. Uh, really bratty, like, really weird kids. And so... It, they it, like frozen food, though, Mike. Uh, uh, certain certain uh, activities with frozen food. Yes. But, uh, so at the end of the episode, he's basically said, like, the kids make a sandwich for him, which is just uh, it's peanut butter and lettuce with ketchup on it, which I haven't tried it, but I'm assuming it's pretty horrible. And uh, Dev has this moment where he sort of, he has this really good sandwich in front of him, and so he takes this bite, and he's like, I'm, so, like, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject this kid's offer of generosity to eat this sandwich that's really good. And then he goes on and eats somebody else's sandwich, too. It's really interesting sort of comparing that to the rest of the episodes because none of the other episodes really end like that. Uh, and I was at, the first episode really kind of piqued my interest. I will admit this was a series that I didn't really get into around episode three or so. But at the end of the first episode, I, I sort of thought, like, oh, Maybe it's that sort of Seinfeld-like vibe to it where, like, Dev is really not a great person. And he's, you know, he's flat-out rejected a kid's gift in honor of eating a sandwich. But it's interesting that it sort of sways completely away from that for some of the more, like, saccharine endings towards these latter episodes. Yeah, uh, it is interesting because you're right. Throughout, like, Dev is not a a great – he's a person. He's normal. He's human. He's not just an archetype of, like, a hero or something that, you know, uh, in a a two-dimensional way, like, doesn't really have flaws or something like that. Uh, He's a guy who looks at life through a particular lens, and I think a lot of this show is about – him seeing life through a different lens or considering things or trying different things or doing new things, whether it's a citizen's arrest or sleeping with a married woman or, you know, taking a date out of town or being the second episode or the, the third episode, uh, the, uh, the, the ticket episode is really uh, about him kind of learning to be mean uh, and then seeing ultimately that even though other people are rude to people nowadays, like that isn't necessarily something that's going to bear great fruit for him, but mm-hmm. he is, he's okay with trying it and i think that that's an interesting thing he tries a lot of different things throughout the course of this and i think i didn't realize it at the time but by the time i finished with the series that i realized that this was just as much about him trying to find his way in life and in the world and i think this first episode really uh is is more about that theme uh than i really thought about initially and that's probably another reason why it's at the beginning because if the overarching theme is about somebody who's not sure of the decisions that they're making in their life and isn't settled and is a little restless and is going to be the one who doesn't humor, you know, doesn't care about humoring children and instead looks and focuses on himself, uh, then it's, it's an interesting journey that he takes himself on throughout the course of all these episodes that end where they end with yeah. him kind of on a plane changing his life. So uh, I think that, that that arc is interesting, and you're right, the some of the other episodes do end on a happier note, and this one ends on him being like, nope, I'm just going to go with what I've got. <laughs> yeah, screw you, great. kids. I'm going to eat you. Which, again, was like a very Louis-esque tone to me. Like, I could totally imagine this first episode tweaking some things, and, you know, you you put you uh, stick uh, Louis C.K.'s face in the Fountain of Youth by, like, 20 years, and then you give him the script, and it's pretty much the same exact thing. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And kind of sort of segueing into the Parents episode, I mean, this... This was like the, I think this is the moment when a lot of people saw this at this show. And the first episode was good, but I feel like watching the, this episode in particular, and you see like, okay, this is the point of view that he's coming from. It sort of sets it apart from a lot of stuff that's going on TV nowadays. 
Yep, and that this was uh, an instantly for me. I just thought, okay, this is a this is a great. This show could th- this needed to happen. Like yep. this is a show that uh, w- that should have been made, and I'm glad that it was. A lot of the time, you watch a show, and I mean, this is. I mean, this is no offense because I know you really enjoyed it, but I watched like the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and I think to myself, this show, it's funny. It's cute. It didn't, it didn't really add anything. Didn't really need to happen. Like it, it's a great vehicle for the people who are involved. Uh, but it doesn't, I mean, it wasn't really changing the conversation or moving yeah. the needle uh, at all for me. Whereas I think this show, um, it gets, it gets a lot closer to doing that, even though there are the similarities to Louie. And even though, uh, it is similar, uh, in, in kind of feeling to Parks and Rec in a lot of the instances, um, and even though there, you could make comparison to girls or, oh, it's funny because they're making jokes about text messaging and, uh, the way that people relate nowadays and the things that you can do. And, uh, they're, oh, this Uber driver, you know, like, oh, he's playing the music really, really loud and, mm-hmm. uh, situations that are new and modern and whatever. Uh, I, I did feel like this, at least with this second episode, the Indians on TV episode, episode four, um, and maybe a couple of others, ladies and gentlemen is a really good one as well. Uh, I feel like this this is is moving the needle a little more, and it's interesting because I I kind of messaged you about this. My understanding is that a lot of the stories on this show are, do come from Aziz's book, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's actually I, I haven't read the book, but I do know that um, I do know that the book is given is being given a lot a lot more credit than just being a funny book. Yeah, that it is you know there's a little bit of insight to it and. Stand-up comedians have often been the kind of uh, – it's interesting because in History of the World by Mel Brooks, the joke is that, oh, in Roman times, they were stand-up philosophers, uh, not stand-up comics. But, yeah, people like George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, uh, Bill Hicks, like they've always been the sort of commenters of the age, mm-hmm. uh, kind of remarking on what's happening. So it is interesting to see – uh, Aziz, uh, kind of stepping up into that role and being yeah. more than just a silly guy playing Randy for half the time. Yeah, well, that's the thing as well that I was about to talk about is, I mean, we, for all intents and purposes, we have not seen Aziz Ansari be Aziz Ansari until this show. I mean, we saw him play Tom Haverford, who, granted, showed, like, shades of probably who. We saw some, you know, a lot of Dev stuff. I feel like Dev talked a little bit like Tom Haverford sometimes, but he was kind of a, a broadly painted caricature. Randy from Funny People was obviously supposed to be a stereotype, and then the other only thing we really know him from is the uh, the racist fruit stand owner from that one episode of Flight of the Concords. But we really haven't seen Aziz Ansari like, do anything that is himself and he talked on it in an, in an interview on fresh air last week actually about this how he said like you know they he's been obviously getting a lot of attention because this is one of the first and definitely only network shows to focus around an indian character and he said you know i'm not really writing an indian sitcom as much as i'm writing just like a sitcom about me because i've never really had that experience before really putting myself into a character and that definitely shows here i mean this is and it's it's such like a fun coincidence as well the story behind this episode is really that aziz and alan yang as you mentioned before who are the two creators of the show and yang was a writer on parks and rec they sort of like kind of commiserated together over their parents both being immigrants and for them kind of being a second generation uh citizen so to have them sort of come together and we see the flashes back to those stories through Brian and Dev and the, the flashbacks for the parents was a lot of fun. Um, and it was, it, it's, it was just a really like, it was a really nicely packaged story. And again, as great as the first episode was, I feel like the second episode really lives up to this sort of motto that Aziz is going for of like, I want each episode to be its own sort of neat little package. And this, this could be like its own little half hour film on parents on its own. 
Yeah, and in 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 it it really could, and in more than that, I think it, it it's coming as you said from that sort of uh, Aziz and Alan Yang kind of experienced in point of view, and I think that's what you know when we say oh well this kind of establishes that this show should exist, like that there's a reason that this show should happen. Um, it, there's also a reason that, that this is, as, as you were just talking about, this is Aziz's show. And I think we see that coming out more, at least I do in the second episode, because I think anybody young and funny uh, can make jokes about uh, sexual encounters going awry and uh, Uber and the things that are, you know, whether or not mm-hmm. their friends have kids or happy, things like that. I don't think that that has to come from Aziz. But I think some of these stories are, are a lot more uniquely uh, the writers and creators of the show. And certainly Parents is right there near the top of the list. And I think one that I'm, you know, I'm not saying that I'm by no means saying that that's what the show should be all the time. I'm just saying I'm really glad that uh, we have the uniqueness of the voices coming to the table in that episode as well. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want, I wouldn't want to watch a show that shied away from that. Uh, we had some jokes about uh, Tom Haverford's background on Parks and Rec, and we had people mistaking him for different things, and uh, we had some, you know, just loose jokes about that, and of course. Aziz talks about uh, his Indian upbringing and his cousins especially and things like that a ton in his stand-up. So his family is very important to him. Uh, It's it's interesting because didn't Margaret Cho have a sitcom at one point that uh, was specifically about her crazy parents? Yeah, so uh, Fresh on the Boat is the – or Fresh off the Boat is the like the most recent uh, Asian-American sitcom. And I think they said that was the most recent sitcom to hit the airwaves since Margaret Cho's sitcom that – fizzled out and it's actually i mean this is this is an amazing sort of i mean they call it the golden age of tv but let's like take a step back and look antonio i mean we have blackish empire we have you know we have fresh off the boat we have master of none now where apparently there's like a uh there's like a latin american show coming to nbc so there's like there's so many different I just love how so, I, I'm sounding a little schmaltzy here, but I, I feel like there are so many different diverse lifestyles that are being portrayed that definitely would not have even like 10 years ago when it was, you know, the formula was let's get five white people and sit them around a coffee table. Uh, so to have not only, you know, obviously an Indian American protagonist, but to also have these stories being told is something that is largely underrepresented in the comedy community. And I, I'm so glad to have it in this 30 minute package. Yeah, it's interesting because that Margaret Cho show, I think it was called All-American Girl, maybe. Um, oh, I think so, yeah. I remember at the time it was in the mid-90s. There was a, and, and I felt this way. There's a lot of criticism of the show for the stereotypes that it portrayed, that her parents, uh, specifically her mom, um, in the way that, the, that kind of that was all playing out, uh, it was playing out in a very stereotypical way and that – some of the people were, were laughing uh, with the people on the show and Margaret Cho, and some were just laughing at the stereotype. And I, you think about the development of television, that's sort of the way things happen, is that you have these shows that are in the vanguard that are, that are landmark simply for portraying and showing on TV certain characters or people from certain backgrounds. Uh, think about certain things on The Little Rascals, for example, or uh, on up, that we can look back at now with uh, hindsight and say, Wow, that's super stereotypical and definitely <laughs> racist. But at the time, it was a huge deal to even have a black person on television. Uh, and I, so I think that if All American Girl was sort of in the vanguard, uh, even though it was portraying stereotypes, I love that we have this episode, Parents, which is not really, I mean, there's some stereotypes that are, you know, that are there. Uh, so we have an Indian doctor. Who's not heard of that, right? Like mm-hmm. things that we have stereotypes about in society. 
but that we take the 30 minutes to go beyond those stereotypes, to look at the upbringing of people and where they came from, to see it presented in their native language, uh, to see it presented uh, fully with actors uh, that aren't, you know, and we, this is Indians on TV, the fourth episode, but that are actually of the background and that, that are not playing across the line uh, in some fashion. Uh, but it's interesting because... You know, these are Aziz's real parents in this episode. Yeah. And part of the reason that he used his real parents, I mean, in fact, I think I've seen in interviews the main reason he used his real parents is he was auditioning people for the roles and couldn't find anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. because probably because not enough opportunities have been provided to those people. Uh, so it, it is interesting that he, he couldn't find exactly what he wanted in the audition, so he went with his actual parents. Uh, and that I think is telling and Hopefully, the more shows we have that are presenting diverse kind of points of view uh, or opportunities for different actors that we don't always see, I think the better. And I think that that the next time someone wants to make an episode like Parents, uh, maybe they won't have to go to their actual parents and they'll be able to find more actors. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, So Aziz Ansari has his parents playing his parents uh, and you alluded to the story that was told before and obviously it's uh, obviously you know i we've heard through other stories that uh, apparently his dad was very game to take it on and he's you know had the everyone in stitches and his mom was probably a, a little more conservative when it came to like being on camera uh what are your overall thoughts about their performance because i mean i it's tough I, I don't want i mean it's fantastic that they're on there and they're it's great that they're telling their story but I'll be honest here, there's a little bit of a disconnect for me because they're not the best performers. I can definitely appreciate facets of what they're doing, but sometimes it did take me a little bit out of the episode knowing that, oh, these are people that are trying to act rather than it being actors. Yeah, I think the mom more than the dad for me, yeah, uh, for sure. That. Yeah. Um, and that it is what it is in that respect. Uh, a lot of people are, are thinking that, uh, that, you know, Lisa Dawn in the Rob has a podcast page and group said his dad steals every scene that he's in. Um, that's pretty true. His dad is really playing it up, uh, and being a total ham. Uh, and it's fun to watch because I thought to myself, like, wow, this guy, I didn't realize it was his real parents at first. Oh, first really? Foremost. No. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, and I, about, after about, two minutes i thought well, this actor's what is he doing like is he playing his dad like his dad is a, like maybe just a little bit mentally challenged like what's happening here is like everything is super happy he's always making a silly grin like i don't understand this like i really oh wait a minute it's his real dad like now it makes total sense he's playing it up he's hamming it up like this is really funny to me and like there's a little moment where his dad plays the guitar and sings a song it says Sorry, Mr. Chow, we're not coming to your yeah. restaurant, you know, like really just silly and, and just the kind of thing that you're like, okay, I understand now Aziz is a stand up. I get it. Like I get that his dad was a doctor, but also probably is just a silly guy uh, at the root of it all. And Aziz wanted to give him an opportunity to ham it up. And so you're going to get a lot of that uh, in this episode because it's just like, well, when else am I going to be able to put my dad on TV acting silly yeah. and experience what I truly have experienced my whole life probably, which is his dad being goofy like that. So I, I'm glad that that came out, even though I agree with you that he, it seemed very clearly obvious uh, very quickly 
that we were dealing with something um, that was non-traditional, uh, that we didn't have actors in these roles. Yeah, which is, I think, again, is fine, and it speaks more towards, I think, as we progress through the through the series, we can find that, like, oh, they start genre-bending a lot of different things. And again, the second episode is really kind of a series-defining moment where it says, like, okay, this is not what you're going to be, <laughs> you know, the first episode is not what you're going to be in for completely. But let's get back to something that probably strays away more from this uh, non-traditional stuff, which is the hot ticket, the third episode, which, again, is describes kind of what you talked about before uh it's a little bit of a me i don't want to say meaner tone as much as it's more of it's very about millennial stuff it's about he wants to go to a concert and the girl that he asked out hasn't texted him back yet and there's mentions of vine and there's really bad south park impressions and rachel comes back into his life uh for me this was i again i i had so much appreciation for the parents episode but the performances might have had me a little bit out of it this actually was the episode that really got me hooked on the show it might have also been because and you and you and i have unfortunately talked about the the untimely passing of harris whittles on our parks and recreation podcast this was one of the episodes that he mainly worked on he wrote the entire story for this and there are definitely jokes sprinkled throughout and i guess maybe the tone of this episode over the the first episode got me really into the show in general yeah, this is, I mean, the premise in and of itself is a very Harris Whittles kind of thing. It's like, oh, uh, using the, the, you know, the ticket, uh, that you can get to this show that nobody else can get into to try to, uh, get the maximum benefit from a romance standpoint. A very, I feel like that's a very kind of silly, uh, a little bit dark and twisted, but yet a very Harris Whittles kind of premise. So, uh, noticeable for sure. And, uh, just a true shame because Harris would have been, with Alan Yang and Aziz uh, just working on this show completely, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that we would have seen uh, a lot more input on some of these episodes. I don't know that the show suffers for it. It just would have been a different show. Uh, and I think that the hot ticket one um, is interesting. What I do like that, like I was saying and kind of hitting at it earlier, this is sort of a be careful what you wish for kind of thing. And that if you do sort of cast the stone and you do act in a negative way, you may, aren't, you, you're probably not going to get what you wanted out of it. And the, the waitress who plays Alice, uh, or the waitress, the actress who plays Alice, the waitress or the, the bartender, mm-hmm. uh, is really just over the top and progressively yeah. awful. And I think it's great. Yeah, I, I like it too. And again, we might have been swaying into that territory of Eric Wareheim in the bouncy house of like, okay, these are over the top, you know, caricatures of people, whereas they sort of make things a little more realistic in, in future episodes. But I, I personally enjoyed it. I love the specifics uh, of it because, you know, you can, you could, there have been a million plots written nowadays about like crazy dates, but to have the specifics of like, oh, she, Thinks she does a Cartman impression that she thinks is really funny. Oh, she makes Vine still for some reason and em- emphasizes an inside joke with her friends that li- that's literally just saying the place that they went to. She Miami. To, yeah, she likes to just steal jackets. Like I think, I think the fact that the they had like specifics about the person, which was something that I know you and I both always enjoyed about Parks and Rec. I think that's what really sold it for me. And even if you didn't like the the Alice stuff, having the Rachel stuff come back at the end was like really sweet. And I think. You know, we we saw a little bit of the Noel Wells Aziz Ansari chemistry in the very first scene, which was hilarious. But I feel like this is where at least I saw really how well the two work together. And I mean, the banter they have between them is like effortless and it continues for several episodes after. Yeah. And that I mean, that's really that's really great. And it does it does almost 
it's so good uh, that when he does meet her after his encounters with Alice, they just vibe so quickly and so so perfectly, uh, and that it's just a clear connection. And I think that that uh, I think that that is good because we kind of see on this episode or on the series some examples of the opposite and we see other relationships that or dates that Aziz is on or things like that which don't play out that way and we see a very unique kind of point of view uh for dev uh and who he, who he is and how he responds to things and just the the fact that Rachel slides so perfectly into that um it is it is showing that they're a really they have a really good connection and that makes the stuff that comes after it work and also be sort of heartbreaking in moments and really kind of sad how they play out because at their at the end of the day they're more similar than they are different and their similarities uh, are what drive them apart and i think that's tough um yeah it, it's just really funny this the the actress who plays alice uh, her, her name, I believe, is Nina Arianda. Mm-hmm. Uh, has actually won a Tony Award <laughs> yeah. for Best Lead Actress in a Play. And you know, this sort of throughout, we have these we have these great kind of one off performances or one off kind of uh, characters that I definitely want to make sure we highlight throughout. But you know, we've got Claire Danes, we've got uh, just ridiculous people showing up uh, in ways that I I'm just I'm just surprised the way it all played out. Yeah, and I believe. So we also get uh, our first, like, really recurring plot line, aside from the Rachel stuff, is The Sickening, as yes. mentioned, which is the movie that the the quote-unquote black virus film that Dev ends up not getting, but then getting, and it sort of tracks his, his uh, work throughout the movie. And I believe this is the episode that first introduces H. John Benjamin as Benjamin, who is his cohort on that movie. And I mean... I mean, you gotta love H. John Benjamin. I mean, Bob from Bob's Burgers, Sterling Archer, the guy from Wet Hot American Summer that turns into the Canopies. I mean, it's weird. It's, again, it's, I said this on the Wet Hot American Summer podcast. It's really weird to see him personified in real life, uh, just because he's like sort of like a short, schlubby man, but he has this sort of very masculine voice. But I love him because we'll also see in a few episodes he becomes this like weird, like sage of sagely advice person to dev that he'll always like since he's been married for 23 years he'll always give dev the best romantic advice yeah i i I agree and it's uh it's a great character getting h john benjamin in somewhat of a recurring role rather than a one-off uh is a real is a real blessing it's a real it's a real coup uh and even though he does do a lot of voice work and occasionally pops up otherwise it's really nice this guy should work as much as possible and i'm i'm down for seeing anything that he's involved in whether it's uh you know a cookout movie a plane movie and a virus movie whatever it is i'm in and that's a really funny thing because I have seen a lot of those, a uh, lot of those movies, and there are certain white actors that do play the same, you know, kind yeah. of characters over and over again. Uh, and I think that it's an interesting joke about how that all plays out and and where that all, you know, where the cast for for movies like that come from or the way people are recognized. It's just it's interesting to me uh to have that kind of be a joke here. Uh and I thought that that was really funny. So, uh that that was uh that was that was just it's just really funny to see H John Benjamin be anyone's mentor uh yeah. because just what you know of him is not that guy not the sage no. not the wise guy yeah. if, so if you've seen coach McGurk from home movies you know he is not a good mentor <laughs> right exactly home movies i forgot about yeah so but that i mean it is really funny to see him in that role i with everything that they were doing but really especially with uh some of the stuff from uh from the the later episode um specifically with colin salmon or Mm -hmm. salmon uh it is funny to see this kind of also through the lens of like the ricky gervais extras kind of thing yeah 
uh, where it's the downtime that people have on movie sets and the things they talk about uh, in, inside the industry and their interactions with people. Like, what do you think about Todd Berry as the director? Yeah, it's interesting because he's, again, probably one of these more, I don't know, he's not, because we deal with several directors over the course of this uh, over the course of this series, I mean, we're going to deal with the the one in the in the the you know the grill commercial later on. But I feel like, like he's a little bit of this like sleazy Hollywood type, and this actually segues perfectly into our Indians on TV episode because this is all very meta stuff. And I mean, uh, Aziz obviously is a stand up. Uh, I don't know how much he was an actor before really getting into Parks and Rec, but I mean, he's definitely making a lot of comments on the industry throughout this. And this is episode four is his giant stamp on the series. I feel like saying this is what i stand for this is who i am because uh, it's all about the lack of basically ethnic diversity on network television and the fact that you know he has a friend robbie patel who's actually his friend in real life and how they audition for a show together but you can't have two indian guys because then it becomes an indian show and then there's email leaks as well uh which you know are kind of pulled from real life i think there were i think it actually happened to sony executives last year uh, I forget if it was related to the hack or not, but yeah, this seemed like, I, I mean, I love this episode, but it was so interesting just because I feel like this was like, I, I can imagine Aziz Ansari like writing fervis, fervently, like in a coffee shop, typing out all these notes about everything that he's always wanted to say about the film and television industry that came into this episode. Yeah, experiences at auditions, uh, being asked to do the accent, not doing the accent, uh, other actors that let him down, that don't let him down, uh, things like that. I do think that some of that stuff is stuff that, of course, when you took a step back and you said, well, if this episode was going to be about this, what do you think it would contain? I think a lot of it is that. But there's also plenty that's not that. Like, I do like the hilarious guy uh, in the background uh, who is who is another friend of his. I can't remember uh, the name of the guy. That, uh, it's Anoush. Anoush, the guy who's like jacked up oh, yeah. uh, and he's Mumbai exercising. <laughs> yes, the Mumbai muscles. Uh, no lactating. I don't know what's happening there but that is really a funny thing and i don't know what that is meant to like where that kind of experience comes from or if that's somebody that he knows that aziz knows people like that uh, or where that all plays out but i found that fascinating because that's a character where if you were white you'd be like oh yeah everyone knows that guy he's the fitness obsessed bro like he just can't get enough he's perfect whatever 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 but nobody usually don't you don't usually don't see that guy as an Indian guy, uh, and so I I thought that that was a nice meta thing that was happening on the show as well, where we did have a guy who would normally be a totally acceptable character, but when you put an Indian actor in that role, it's just not something we've seen before, and I think yeah. that that's fascinating and interesting, and I think that there's a lot of little lines in this episode that make that clear, like. You know, it said, oh, why would you put two, you know, Indians in one show? You can't have that. And it's like, how many Indian people are there? Like, you know, there's like, how about a billion people or whatever? You know what I mean? So I think that that all works really well to say, yeah, there are points for and against what everyone is saying. And I can understand that. And we're in a, an atmosphere now where a major Bollywood star, Priyanka Chopra, mm-hmm. uh, has been cast on Quantico. And the kind of show is built around her as the lead. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. Uh, it's just, it is kind of an interesting thing. Why isn't that happening more when there are so many people out there, especially around the world, now that everything can be accessed digitally, uh, who will want to watch the show? Uh, and so maybe after a certain, I mean, we could reach a point, what I'm saying, Mike, is we could reach a point where soccer is the most popular sport in the United States. Gasp. <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, we could reach that point because we are, the United States is a, 
is many things. Uh, the Western culture uh, is is uh, is a hallmark for a lot of people. People look up to it, watch it. They consume American movies in China. Uh, we don't really watch Chinese movies in America by and large. Uh, but we should be, therefore, I think, considering that the the stuff we're creating doesn't have to be all about the same kind of people, uh, you know, white, normal people. Like, yeah, there's room for an Anush who is just a muscle-bound Indian guy. Of course that could happen. Like, why aren't we showing more of that? So there's an interesting debate there. And yet Dev also in this episode kind of sees the point of the executive. Like he says to, uh, he says to uh, Ravi is like, well, um, he's saying some actually eh, some compelling stuff about why it shouldn't happen. And I think that that was all very, very interesting. Uh, I think this is a great episode. Yeah, and it's it's really – the whole uh, executive stuff is really interesting as well because I was totally – again, maybe this is me and Seinfeld mindset, but I was totally expecting for like things to – awkward conflict to happen and for like dev to not get apart because he said something awkward or he like accidentally released the email when he shouldn't have but like it plays out surprisingly calmly like he goes into the office he says i was offended by this the exec says okay let me take you to a basketball game to make it up for you they go to the game they hang out with Busta Rhymes for some reason. <laughs> um, and then he's, you know, and then they end up deciding he's dead. We're going to leak the email. And like the way it falls through actually does kind of remind me of uh, the pilot episode of Seinfeld where like the person that was backing him ends up leaving the scene in one way or another. And then the new executive just decides to can it right there and then. But I, I was really like, the, and this definitely again spoke towards the show's tone is that like, you think there are going to be big wacky sitcom conflicts going on, but it really plays out very calmly and much closer to real life than what would happen on the screen usually. Yeah. And then again, the be careful what you wish for thing comes into play when the new exec, new exec takes over and she wants to remake perfect strangers with Indians. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's like one step forward, two steps back, because I'm going to go on there as the Indian Balki, and I'm going to be just the biggest stereotype, most ridiculous thing you can think of. And I, this is, Aziz was on Parks and Rec. Um, that's a Thursday night NBC show. I can't help but remember that they tried to launch Outsourced, which was another Thursday oh, night yeah. NBC show. At around the same time, that was full of stereotypes and full of stereotypical characters. And yet... It was one of the only shows on TV that had more than one Indian actor. So it is this kind of question of, well, is it really, uh, is really a step forward if we're, if we're casting a bunch of Indians, if half of them are playing the stereotype, if, if we remake Perfect Strangers with two Indians, um, is it going to be a big deal? Is it going to be a hard thing? And ultimately, Dev doesn't want to do it, and I think that that's great. And I think that that speaks to uh, kind of the difficulty of making business decisions with art, uh, and having a network or a studio have to decide exactly how they want to market something before it's ever made. And that, there's a very meta thing going on here since this show is on Netflix. And I think Netflix is a little bit less concerned with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Aziz can kind of tell this story and can put is whoever he wants really to a certain extent, including up to and including his parents on the show. Uh, so I think that there's that, the meta story of that is fascinating when you, you've got the Netflix model uh, here, which is, hey, we'll make whatever, and the people that need to find it will find it. We don't have to worry about what advertisers we're going to sell a product to or um, who might be watching this, like what kind of hair care item we need to advertise because yeah. we don't know who the audience is. It doesn't matter when it's a streaming service. So I think that that plays really well, and I think that that's 
an interesting backdrop. And by the way, the Is Mindy Kaling Real is one of the funniest laugh lines for me in the whole series. I actually just read a, a tweet before we recorded where uh, Mindy Kaling said, like, oh, you know, like, I always text Aziz and sorry, my favorite lines from Master of None. And, she's, and he's like, just wait until you get to the end of episode four. <laughs> also, I'll be intrigued to see it. We'll, we'll track her reaction live in there. So, yeah, speaking of sort of like gimmicks to bring people into the show i mean celeb bringing in celebrity cameos is always uh sort of a, a stock way to bring people on to new viewers and we sort of see that a little bit here in episode five our halfway point here the other man which has claire danes and noah emmerich emmerich yeah emmerich? Noah emmerich yeah uh as this couple that we'll see once and we will never see again i'm assuming these two will fall into your category antonio of really great one-time characters uh because this is a really interesting one where again sort of like episode three we're starting to see like devs delves into romantic territory that he's really not comfortable with and then you know craziness ensues from it yeah uh and he this is the also the episode that has colin salmon in it playing just ridiculous levels of i mean that was a very extras thing like it it it, so this is an interesting episode because it is it is different than a lot of the other episodes he's kind of as far away from the rachel storyline as he's going to get uh because the next episode nashville brings us right back to it totally uh so this is kind of the last like uh no rachel kind of thing and he's out uh on a tinder date uh, and boring tinder date and he's just going as a as a wingman to a party and not really thinking about uh rachel or any other girls or anything like that he's just kind of floating around and unfortunately he floats into the orbit of claire danes who is totally ready to be a man eater and uh and she really just i laughed super hard when she was like uh just at Aziz's, at, at Dev's reactions to everything that was happening that first night, they meant, this is so cool. Yeah. Oh my God, you're smoking it right now. Like, yeah. that was great. I like, love, I love just seeing his, his unmitigated glee about, like, you're just so cool. I don't think, and like, I, I remember, I think they're like in between kisses and he just kept talking about how cool she was. Yeah, she was like, do you want some weed? It's, uh, I smoke before I have sex. When you're smoking it right now. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, just like stuff like that throughout was killer and it was hilarious and it was, very much like I feel like we saw Dev being Dev like this throughout the rest of the series. So it was very much in keeping with how Dev would respond to situations like this. He's not Mr. Cool by any stretch. No. He's not the dude who plays it cool in any kind of real situation. Uh, he often tries to uh, step out and do things differently. And I think this episode is, again, about the consequences of doing things differently and taking a chance. Uh, here, the chance that he takes is... He doesn't sleep with Claire Danes that first night. He feels really weird and awkward about the fact that she's married and says no. And she just basically says, like, here's my number. You call me when you want to. You know, she's confident it's going to happen. And then there is that unfortunate run-in in the ice cream shop. Um, yeah, well, for, well, I mean, to, to sympathize with Noel Emmerich a little bit, that ice cream kind of does sound pretty gross. <laughs> it has, like, sesame in it. <laughs> yeah, I laughed so hard at that as well. Just the way that that all played out with the... With the cuts, I mean, when he, when Noah Emmerich first showed up, I immediately was like, oh, that was Claire Dane's husband. Because when I saw the pictures, I recognized Noah Emmerich. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you hadn't recognized Noah Emmerich, you wouldn't realize that that was the guy who was in the pictures. You might not immediately put that together. And shows always struggle with this. Like, how much should we cater to the audience here? How broad should we make this? Do we need to do a flashback to the look at the picture? And there are shows uh, where people get very angry at being asked to do a flashback to hold the audience's hand and stuff like that. 
And then they did a flashback here where they showed the picture of him at the house and Aziz kind of, or Dev kind of remembering it. But then they cut to the ice cream and to everyone's face and back to the ice cream and to the face. And so then it wasn't just a shot of the picture. It was this whole kind of sequence. And then it's repeated later when in mid coitus, oh, yeah. uh, Dev is looking at the picture and you do the thing with the ice cream again. I laughed so hard. Oh, uh, yeah, that was that was really great. And I, I it was so this is one of those interesting episodes where like it became surprisingly poignant at the end. And well, uh, I think the finale is, is does this, you know, blows this out of the park. But I mean, when he meets uh, Claire Dane Denor Emmerich, what, like? two months later or something in that furniture shop and he yeah. and Noah Emmerich goes into this entire monologue about how like you know it, they it, there's an opportunity for them to really look at their relationship and he gives this whole analogy of like you know if one part of your marriage is broken and in this case it's monogamy which is pretty it's pretty funny to think about that's a pretty funny joke <laughs> yeah but then, hilarious. But, then but then he says you know like your marriage is a table and if a leg is broken on the table I'm not going to throw the table away I'm going to try to fix it that actually and maybe this is the reason why rewatching this series is so great as well. This ties so much into what happens with Deb and Rachel, where like certain things go wrong, and Deb has the propensity to sort of like blow it up and say like, "Okay, well that means we're not meant to be." When it turns out that that's just a normal part of a relationship, and that the relationship and, and Benjamin makes this comparison earlier in the episode about like kindling, building a fire, I think. Um, or maybe that's that's somewhere in a later episode. But like, it's very interesting to see. There's not much foreshadowing that goes on in these episodes, but to have that sort of like as a runner throughout of like what relationships are and how they're defined and how different ones work is so interesting to me. Yeah, uh, especially when we talked about how the next episode is the actual episode. Like this is the the episode that ends with Aziz being directly told by somebody who he has wronged and who he you would think he ruined two lives. Uh, no, this I realized that you know what was going on was a lot of bad, and we both had a lot of problems. We were both bringing negative things to the table. You were the thing that helped wake us up. Uh, it is interesting because he begins his journey for the second half of the season in the next episode, and as you're saying, doesn't necessarily take all those lessons to heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is that is really funny. Um, speaking of lessons to take to heart, before we leave this episode, I really laugh so hard. When Noah Emmerich does recognize Aziz, he's like, oh, so you've got a little Indian man. He's like, why did you bring my size into it and my race? Like, you know, whatever. But um, he says, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you? And Aziz says, the ice cream shop. Like, you cut in front of me or whatever. And he says, so you, you know, so you fucked my wife? Like, he's very, like, that's what you did? Yeah, I love because that. He like, he jumps to that conclusion. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, I mean, for and I mean, Claire Danes has really done no comedy work, but she was so surprisingly game here in terms of just totally playing up that role. Like, you know, where I also love the reveal of when they're they're making out for the first time, and Dev says like, "Oh, who's like you have a lot of pictures of that one guy." She's like, "Yeah, it's my brother." And she's like, "Oh, why is there a picture of you marrying your brother?" Uh, yeah. I just I think that like the way these the the sort of quirky aspects of that work so well and speaking of quirky i mean that's a perfect segue into the nashville episode which is i feel like almost a take in episode six of this show on the everyone goes to a certain location type of thing where uh you know rachel's back on the market so dev decides to take her on sort of an impromptu date to nashville and it sort of has its its highs and its lows um and it's interesting because i sort of compare this episode and the ninth episode the morning's episode to a richard linklater film and actually aziz has gone forward saying that linklater actually inspired a lot of the stuff that he did with those two episodes did you get a sort of sense of that watching this yeah i i think so i mean i think that there's a little bit of that to it for sure and um i mean i 
I think a lot of other people will compare this to Louis. I think this is a very Louis episode because it doesn't, it, it, in hindsight, it is certainly meant to just kind of set up the second half of the season. Um, but at the, at the time, it was a very kind of an interesting, Linkletter is a good comparison. I think it's just really an interesting sort of slice of life, uh, life kind of, well, each scene that I'm watching, is this going to go south? Is it going to go negative? Uh, is it going to, is it going to progress to something really big? Um, no, it's just a slice of life kind of thing that's happening in the moment, very, uh, being presented in a very realistic way. And so that's where I think the link letter thing comes in. I think that's really accurate. Uh, it's interesting to see Nashville through, through this kind of lens. I've been to Nashville several times. I live only about four hours away and, uh, this is the very touristy, mm-hmm. on-the-surface version of Nashville, which, of course, it would be if someone from New York were coming in for one day. Yeah. I also really like the end of this episode. I really like that we see Dev screw up, and we see Dev... This is something that we see repeated uh, often, is that Dev uh, tries something, and he thinks it's going to work, and it doesn't work, and he is a good guy at heart, but that doesn't mean he's always going to do the right thing. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, and I, I totally... Uh, I totally see like the touristy route that you're talking about. Does does the ghost hotel actually exist? Yeah, I think that hotel is legit. Yeah, and uh, I've not stayed in it, but um, most hotels I think that are a little that are of any age, especially like in Louisville and Memphis and Nashville and New Orleans and all these kind of north south routes. Oh yeah, we've got a ghost. Like yeah, they're going to sell you on that for sure. Yeah, I I agree. I was totally waiting for the other shoe to drop in this episode. In terms of, like, I was just waiting for uh for deb to like do something and i mean i sort of saw it coming when she mentioned her niece's recital i need to be back on sunday and i was hoping that like oh i i i, I don't know if it's going to be that thing and it, when the way they played it off was totally fine that the weekend had kind of gone perfectly until that point and then when that happened things sort of splintered and they spent five hours in the airport uh but yeah i i agree it, it was totally nice to see that sort of arc happen over the course of an episode because i feel like with other types of series like i've been watching a lot of you're the worst uh which is an fxx show that i actually really enjoy but you're the worst wouldn't really do that they would probably do they'd probably have this be like a two or three episode arc where they keep screwing up and you know it wouldn't end with everything kind of hunky-dory with them flying back so i was very appreciative of this episode and i mean this is gonna this is gonna pave the way so much for the rachel and uh, and dev stuff which is basically gonna take up the entire back half of the season. And I totally didn't see it before, but you bring up a great point that the sort of Noah Emmerich and Claire Dane situation sort of sets the dominoes up and in a, in a Salmon way for his missing cat uh, to fall and sort of paint the paint, how Deb's going to try to pursue a relationship for these five episodes. And it's going to, it's going to work to varying degrees. I will say one of my favorite one time characters in this episode was when I think they were in, they were just in a random, sh- uh, in a clothes shop and they were doing a lot. There's a lot of banter back and forth this episode, but there's that one guy that just sort of comes up to me and goes like, can you, can you please stop bonding? I'm very alone. <laughs> and then they call him grumpy McGrumperson under his breath. He's like, Hey, my name is not grumpy McGrumperson. It's Steve. Yeah, I laughed really hard at that. Scene. That's like that's like a Billy Eichner role. I feel. Can, can you go Bond somewhere else? Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. And yeah, that I, there's a lot of great little one-offs uh, that that kind of you know precipitate throughout this series. And uh, some of them are bigger, like the Colin Salmon kind of thing. Uh, and some of them are are little, just small little interactions like this that work really well. So uh, all of that plays uh, plays fantastically in this episode. And I think that. More than anything, I think that that was also a really great little nod to the fact that, yeah, audience, like you're not you're not just misreading this. Clearly, they're you know they're really hitting it off. Yeah, exactly. And it's gonna 
I know, and, and by the next episode, she's going to be ingrained with the friends. And I mean, I, I don't know what sort of the timetable on this series is. We start sort of in like winter clothes in January. The mornings episode seems to take place over the course of like nine months. So I'm not sure what the timeline is over this. But I mean, by ep- the next episode, episode seven, she seems like she's part of the gang again. Yeah, and just right, right back in there. So um, I don't know exactly where that all played out, but uh, but yeah, that that just right in the gang. So who knows? Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, which is the next episode, I would say you know we talk about how there's sort of pillars that Aziz is, is building here in his show. We talked about the parents episode. We talked about the Indians on TV episode, and I feel like this is sort of like I don't want to call it his feminist angle, but it's sort of him commenting on you know, the, on what women have to deal with in society today. I mean, I love that sort of, I'll call it the cold open before the credits come in where it's, you know, showing two different viewpoints of what happens when Aziz and Arnold w- walking home from a bar versus this one woman walking home from a bar and how she obviously faces a lot of different matters, whereas the worst thing that happens to Dev is that he gets dog poo on his new sneakies. Uh, and I think that set up the episode perfectly in terms of I don't think Aziz was trying to traipse into territories that he's not familiar with, but I think he did a nice job of like saying what he personally feels about the subject. Yeah, and I think that that's really the the meta part of that, right? With Dev doing this and Dev sticking his neck out on the commercial and hurting himself as a result and seeing how that all played out. Uh, I think that that's interesting because it's not – that story is not meant to see – I don't think it's meant to tell the story of like no good deed goes unpunished or the road to hell is paved with good intentions or whatever. I really don't think that that was the intention of this episode. I think the intention of this episode was simply to talk about how Dev – is a person who tries to do things or see things a little bit differently and is trying to grow and change and adapt and is in this part of his life where he realizes that he has to be an adult about certain things and certain things are just not right. Um, and this episode with the, is also the episode that has the citizen's arrest scene. Mm-hmm. And the citizen's arrest scene is funny, uh, and it's funny to see how that ends up on the top of a sheet cake. But it is also uh, – it, it isn't – it isn't played for such huge, like there isn't something, it doesn't go awry. It doesn't like screw up. Like, yeah. and then they have a, a conversation with the sex offender that is a little bit like, uh, there's a little bit of, I don't, wouldn't say sympathy, but I forget exactly how Dev puts it in the episode. Like, stop saying things that make me feel like you're a yeah. normal person. Yeah, or exactly. whatever, you know? like, <laughs> there is a little bit of that to it. So I think that this episode is, is, is also just about how, He's sticking his neck out a little bit uh, and trying to see things from a different point of view, but also not perfect at it because that's also the source of the conflict between he and Rachel in this episode where even though he has the best intentions and he is the guy who just got the whole commercial changed because of the fact that women weren't being featured enough. He's also the guy that isn't sensitive enough to understand what his girlfriend is trying to tell him about the director who didn't shake their hands and ignored them. And I think that it's it's a great kind of three-dimensional portrait of, of the male struggle with feminism that even though we might have the right intentions and even though we might have the right goals, we're not always going to be able to see everything that we need to see to appreciate a certain issue. And that sometimes the best thing that we can do is just take a step back and just listen rather than disagree, rather than dismiss out of hand what someone is saying is something that happens to them all the time. Uh, we need to just listen and maybe we would hear things differently. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter. It could be somebody that, uh, that has their best intentions like Dev, who's already done fantastic things in this episode. Uh, it doesn't matter. We can still, we can still be tone deaf when it comes to certain parts of these issues and rakes too. 
And Riggs, too. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I, I know for a fact that Eric Wareham is, you know, is a great, great casting in the show because it all played out so funny. But it is hilarious just to see how small Aziz really is. I know. He is. So, I know. I think, actually, I forget if, if, if it was this episode or it might be this episode or the previous one where Rachel and, and, uh, and Eric Wareham's character go to get the couch. But, like, to see their size disparity is a lot of fun as well. Uh, he's, I mean, he's also a giant man. <laughs> but I think he looked a lot better holding the giant rake than Dev did. Yeah, and then it was funny to see Anush come in and nail that line and Dev just say, damn, he's good. Yeah, I loved, I loved it. Again, like, Anush, we weren't, we weren't expect to see him return again after episode four as sort of, as you said, this sort of, like, random character. But... But there we are. Uh, let's let's move into our old people discussion, uh, and that sounds so weird to say, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's really interesting. And actually, the story behind this one, uh, from an uh, interview I read with Aziz, is that when he was making the aforementioned book that we talked about before, he did a lot of interviews with people in elderly homes, and he just found their stories so interesting that he and eventually, as he was making the show at the time, he called up Alan Yang and said, "We have to write an episode about this." And I mean, he tells a story about how the uh, the person who plays Rachel's grandma, like, read the script and said, you know, there aren't a lot of scripts out there where old people aren't, you know, stereotypical or rapping or falling down. And this featured none of that. It was actually a very great look on, like, what it is to be elderly and, and trying to live in those memories. So I, I mean, I mean, this is, I feel like specifically around, like, around Indian people on TV is when they really start hitting it out of the park. And I mean, this is no different. Yeah, it's great. And... Uh, this is definitely an episode that I mean I, the comparison has been made throughout this podcast, and of course it's being made in every corner of the internet. This is an episode that also had a very Louis feel to me, uh, in ju- just in that like uh, when once Rachel leaves the the home, uh, all bets are off. This yep. could go anywhere. Uh, grandma could die. Uh, grandma could make a pass at Dev, uh, or Grandma and Dev could do what what happens, which is they go out and have a great uh, Italian dinner together. Um, they they appreciate each other. There's company. Uh, they talk frankly and on the level. Uh, and then she takes a powder and escapes, and she just wants to go to a jazz club and, and connect with people again. So I, I think that all that is is fabulous, and this is just a really, really great episode on that level. Um, and I, I also like that we continue this this what even though we have this show we've talked about where we've got a series of kind of one off or standalone kind of concepts. We do know a lot about Dev loving pasta throughout yeah. the episode and, or throughout the series and. Here he is again, really appreciating some Italian food, uh, knowing what's to come. I think this is a kind of a little, a great little blip on that radar, a uh, great little character note for him that continues throughout. But speaking of character notes, what's going on with the seal in this oh, episode? Oh, yeah, Pero the robotic seal. Apparently it's inspired by, by a short story that Aziz liked. But, uh, yeah, that's, again, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to say that it was a little cramered. <laughs> just a little bit. I feel like that was like a scheme that Kramer would come up with of like it's a robotic seal that keeps people company. I mean, I, I thought it was nice to bring a little bit of character perspective into Arnold. Uh, it's interesting because I'm trying to remember. I mean, outside from the Arnold and Rachel stuff, is this like the first time we see a character that's not Dev have their own sort of storyline on their own? No, I think that that's uh, – I think that in Ladies and Gentlemen, when Arnold kind of goes off with Rachel, I think that that's the first we really get of it. And then I think this is a follow-up with Arnold in the, in this episode. I actually think that this worked better than the stuff that was in Ladies and Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I think the stuff that was in Ladies and Gentlemen for me is one of the most kind of discordant parts of the series uh, because – 
Arnold is a guy who definitely does, even though he's weird, he's got his shit together on some levels. Like he knows about stuff. There's that long debate in the Nashville episode about the, the lyric from lose yourself. Like this ain't no movie. There's no Mackay Pfeiffer. Arnold's got it. He's got it on lock. Like he understands exactly how this should be. And even earlier when he's talking about texting a pic of a turtle climbing out of a briefcase, you get the impression that maybe this guy knows a little bit more about what's going on than he lets on. So that even though he is the weirdo who jumped in the bouncy ca- the bouncy house or whatever, he's also a guy that isn't just a weirdo. Like there is a little bit of method to his madness. But then when we got that ladies and gentlemen episode, uh, he's all over the place and he's like, I'm a great negotiator. I buy all of my Gremlins merchandise on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Really funny laugh lines. And then he gets to that apartment and I couldn't tell – if this, I mean, she, uh, Rachel obviously like like worked with it really well and played it up really well. But I don't understand Arnold in that moment. So I appreciated Arnold a lot more with the robotic seal because I could see he rejected it immediately. I don't want that thing. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do with that? And then he brings it out, and then he then then it really makes a connection with him, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's also. I mean, th- this did a lot of character building. I feel like because this is also introduced. You know, we saw. We, uh, you know, we, we saw his grandfather and we didn't know like what their relationship was, but it appears that he was very broken up by the fact that he died considering he was like watching twins and, in uh, his very, very well decorated apartment. I want like a full wall bookshelf in my apartment. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, I mean, we got a lot of perspective into his character and I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk in a little bit about if this, you know, whether or not this would get renewed and should it get renewed, if it gets renewed, I really would like to see, like, I would I would totally expect a standalone episode where we just follow Arnold around because I feel like those were, like, these were cool moments into who these characters were because otherwise they sort of function as, like, just walls that Dev bounces comments off of. And to actually see them as full-functioning characters is really nice. Yeah, I agree. And... I think that for a show like this to have legs, it's important. I think that we have to uh, flesh some of these characters out. I mean, we don't really have that on Louis. It is all really Louis-centric. Uh, we've got his kids, and that's really kind of it. Um, occasionally, other, other stand-ups will pop in, and occasionally some actress will play his, his sister or his brother, or then a different actress will play his, his mother. Life, yeah. yeah, it's just all over the map as with, with far as that goes. So. That show, though, has legs because each episode is presenting just a weird little slice of life story, and that's fine. But I think this, this series aspires to be something a little bit different in that I think it does aspire to be about Dev's maturation, progress, process. I didn't necessarily realize that throughout the first watch. Uh, it wasn't until the end that I realized that, okay, this whole, epi- this whole series actually does exist on a continuum of growth or opportunity uh, and that there is room for that. And so I think that for this show to have legs, we're going to need to see more of some of these other characters if this is going to be a show that does arc upward and not downward. We're going to have to see conflict come from some of these things. Uh, and I think that that, that will be interesting. Uh, but I, I did like the seal. I thought that Eric was really funny in that scene. Um, are, were the apartments on this show too nice for you? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that's also... A typical, I'm going to call that like Manhattanitis here. Uh, on in terms of TV shows, will always feature apartments that are way. I'd say the only apartments that are not way too nice are probably the ones on Broad City, which are usually taking place in very small enclosed spaces, which is basically what New York is. But between you know, girls, this, friends, uh, you know, on Glee for a little bit, like. Dev's apartment, and we spend a lot of time on it in the in the next episode. But Dev's apartment, 
I don't know how much that Gogur commercial is making him, but damn, he can. He has a really nice apartment that he's probably paying a lot for every month. Yeah, I was shocked, and I think he, they try to dispense with that when his parents come to visit and say, like, this building is so dirty. You have a tor- you, this is a horrible building. You need to move. And uh, as he said, or Dev says something like, "Oh, like you think I didn't notice? Like the building was so bad, and that I was able to get this place because of that." You know, like so he's trying to suggest that there's a reason why he's able to get such a nice place. But I don't know. I know that the stra- the struggle for an apartment. There's a whole Seinfeld episode about this. Yeah, about the apartment. Who's going to get the apartment? Do we need to pay and the rent control and all these things? So I get that it's a thing that's very New York. Um, I'm I'm glad that the this didn't focus on it too much, but I, it did take me out of it. This episode mornings where we spent so much time in the apartment, I was like, wow, hardwood floors, beautiful natural light, mm-hmm. like a lo- a lot of space, big bedroom, uh, different bedroom, kitchen and living room, uh, yeah. and he's just a struggling actor with no actual job. I don't know about this. No, if if this was an actual think he would be like staying in something probably the size of the bathroom <laughs> but it would be a studio so it would all be included in that one space yeah i mean that's and we spent a lot of time in that in that place so i'm assuming they wanted to make it as well furnished as possible so they might have overcompensated a little bit uh but let's let's dive into mornings here because i would probably call this the biggest artistic endeavor of the series thus far uh which is to make an entire episode in one location with only two people, it almost plays out like a play with editing where you only really focus on two people throughout. And again, I'll make the link later comparison because, you know, you keep waiting for an, an argument to break out or something, an inciting incident to happen at the end of each scene. But a lot of it are, as you said before, slice of life scenes that sort of slice together into this giant cronenberg esque cake uh, that rears its ugly head for a portion of time, but then turns out to be a nice cake at the end. Is that the hashtag Cronenberg-esque cake? Cronenberg-esque cake. I think that's a, <laughs> a very difficult hashtag, Michael. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cronen uh, cake. Maybe that's easier. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so what are what are your thoughts about this episode? Because I mean, I feel like this one sticks out like a sore thumb. Is it is it does it stick out in a good way or a bad way for you? I I'd say a good way. I'd say that in in terms of art art art. Maybe I wouldn't say artisanship but in terms of like artistic achievement uh, this is the high point of the series for me um, even more so than than parents or than indians on tv or uh, old people or some of these episodes that really or ladies and gentlemen some of these episodes that really really pop um and have a lot to say i think that this did it in a micro way uh, and did it in a way that i don't think you ever see sitcoms really take these kind of chances uh and and perform or produce these kind of things there's a great tidbit from Alan Seppenwall's write-up of this series, where he talks about specifically how he was once in the Parks and Rec writer's room, and the co-creator Greg Daniels was shooting down all these season premiere pitches because they were covering long periods of time, and that NBC specifically has an edict that their shows should loosely track to the calendar period during which they're airing. Uh, so, you, uh, so you have to make like Christmas episodes during Christmas, is that why? Yes, yeah. Or you can't cover multiple years on one episode. Or, you know, obviously they broke that rule with the Parks finale, spoiler alert. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, they want that. There are rules from networks. And this is the sort of artistic freedom. I think saying 
what you were saying, it's almost like a play. I think that that's accurate. You know, they have all these little title cards at the beginning, and I saw this one's main title card just included Aziz and Noel Wells. And I thought, okay, we have a bottle episode. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to be a bottle episode. And it kind of was. It was all set in the apartment, uh, and it, it really, I mean, it, it was largely that. Uh, and I think that that all worked really well. My favorite thing about it, though, was how not everything played out. I played with expectations. Yep. I thought some of the fights would be a lot bigger. I thought some of the fights that were big could have been easily solved. I was yelling at the characters at a couple of moments, uh, specifically Dev. I think Dev was saying a lot of the wrong things and doing a lot of the wrong things and not coming at it from the right perspective. And I think he realized that at some point. But um, I was I was so encouraged because I I worried that this episode was going to be like at, it was going to end with them breaking up and with her going to Chicago and that was going to be it and. I felt like that would be a heartbreaker considering we'd seen them work so well together and just lying bed together and doing silly little voices at each other. And the things that I think that are great foundational things for any relationship, it would have really made me sad to see that fall apart. And I was very thrilled with the way that it all played out, specifically with him using the pasta maker. I thought that that was all great, Uh, but that really only makes the finale sort of – uh, much bleaker in that respect. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting matter of timing, too, because the conversation, the sort of revelation that Rachel has in this episode, that's kind of their bigger argument, which is, you know, I want to be up for this promotion, and, and basically Dev is kind of challenging her to be like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And she's really not sure. Little does Dev know he's going to have that conversation with himself an episode later. So it's really interesting, this sort of the way the things pan out there i agree with you i was totally expecting her to like move out of the apartment and then we'll see like oh it's a nice tied up arc of she moved into the apartment at the beginning she moves out at the end but again i was really happy to sort of have this ending where you know his you know we bring in again the expectations of like oh they dropped the hint earlier that he doesn't talk about her to his parents so to bring that his parents about for to meet her that was really nice i will say the the fairy tale ending might be was a little too schmaltzy for me Personally, um, it was it was nice to see through flashbacks sort of track their relationship. Uh, I, but I thought it might have been a little over the top. But I mean, man, this was this was just really this was just really great to watch. I mean, I think I saw online some people call this show almost like a rom com in reality, and I feel like this episode it definitely indicates that in terms of all these these conversations that they have are like conversations that two people in a relationship would have, whether it's it leads into a good re- direction or a bad direction or no direction whatsoever. Yeah, and I mean, say what you will about the fairy tale ending, but you get finale next episode. So, yeah. you know, maybe the fairy tale will continue, uh, and we're not ever after yet. If we've got a second season, uh, Noel Wells would certainly be somebody I'd be looking to bring back. But, um, but yeah, in this particular episode, at least, I, I guess I'm more of a fairy tale reader than you because if it had ended in a different way, I would have felt a lot darker or, or more negative about it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just the, the fact you mentioned his parents and hiding him, I, I really, that's a perfect example of something that could have been so much more and could have been the kind of thing that undermined their entire relationship and really at the end of the day wasn't and she understood that and to me like that is yet another reason why uh they should have worked out and you talk about the rom-com in real life i actually felt a little bit uh like the movie blue valentine uh, Mm -hmm. when i was watching this episode uh, in that you were seeing different 
portions of a couple's relationship over a time period, good and bad, understanding why they were together, understanding the problems that they had and that they needed to overcome. Just thought that was a really honest and accurate portrayal, as you're saying, uh, of the kind of co- the conversations that all of us have had, uh, no matter what kind of romantic situation we've been involved in. Uh, and so I thought that that was, that was great. Um, but then you play into the finale and it's tough because of course we're going to get what happens with the sickening. Cause that's been one of the recurring things throughout. Of course, we're going to get some, some great, uh, appearances yet again from Brian and Arnold and Denise and all the characters we like throughout. But really the finale is about what's happening with Deb and Rachel. And, uh, I don't know what, what did you think about ultimately, in the context of the series, calling this one finale is basically saying, like, yes, this is the context of the series. This is the finale, but it's also the finale of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I'd, like, I'd love to know what you think about this episode overall and how it fits with the series. So it's so interesting because, again, in reading this interview with Aziz that I read on the AV Club, he talks about how he was so inspired by this thing called the paradox of choice. And I'll read a quote that he says about it. He says, the instinct is that when you have more options in your life, it's better. But in actuality, it's harder to make a decision. And when you do make the decision, you're often left unsatisfied because you're worried you picked the wrong thing. And it's so interesting to, to sort of imagine this 10th episode and specifically that entire uh, you know, excerpt from uh, Sylvia Plath in The Bell Jar and tie it back all the way to what we were talking about in the first episode with you know the choice to have kids or the third episode when he chooses to go out with Alice and reject the other people that this episode i feel like did a great job of culminating this entire theme of choice and that you know you can make wrong decisions if you think you know if you have all the options outlaid in front of you chances are you're going to pick the wrong thing to do and this episode brings everything to the front with dev asking himself you know did I do? Did I choose to do the right thing, both in terms of his relationship and his career choice? And it's interesting that both of them kind of splinter off in different directions. I mean, I think I would almost compare the ending of this episode to the one from the Frasier series finale, uh, where I think it was like he got on a plane and we were assuming that he was going to fly off to start a new job somewhere else. But it turns out he had landed, I think, in Chicago, where he was pursuing the woman that he loved. Uh, and similarly, it also took place in a plane here, where it turned out that you think that Dev was inspired by Rachel leaving to book a flight to Tokyo to chase after her. But no, he just decided to book a flight to Italy to to go to what he calls pasta making school and become a chef, which I thought was, again, like so harnessed in reality of like, we've seen so many times the chase after the girl in the airport or head off to a destination to win her back. But Dev was very cognizant of the fact of like, she came into my life, she left my life. And this is clearly, she taught me something and made me realize something, uh, specifically in her i guess i don't know i don't know if the inciting incident was her reaction towards that director where she basically just told him off that kind of snapped him into the the realization that what he's doing he doesn't like but i feel like it was a pivotal moment in his character and him realizing like maybe i'm not stuck where i am maybe i need to keep thinking about like where i am in my life and whether i'm satisfied with it yeah, getting cut out of the movie I think was huge for him because in the parents episode, uh, when his dad's friend from India is there, the, the guy that the dings did not remind his dad to pick up from the train station, yeah. uh, he says like, oh, you're an actor or whatever. And, and he, Dev tells a quick story that on the first watch I forgot, but he says something to the effect of like, I was just sitting in the park and somebody asked me if I wanted to be in a commercial. And I said, yeah, and here we are. Like, it's not something he always wanted to do. And he hasn't totally made active choices in that, in that realm. He has made the active choice to get into films. 
his experience with that active choice getting into films. Let's see. Uh, he worked with a director who was such a dickhead that he didn't even tell him he was cut out of the movie, had all his friends show up. And then when he kind of confronted the guy about it, he was still a jerk about it. Yep. And so like, that's his experience, uh, with, with film. And, you know, throughout, as you say, the, the idea of choice, it, it, it's, it's funny how it's kind of just under the surface throughout uh, each of these episodes. And we, we see, for example, in the episode uh, Hot Ticket early on, episode three, when Alice says, hey, where would you like to live if you could live anywhere? His gut thing, he says, is Italy. I go, I'm moving to Italy. Yeah. So it is interesting that in episode 10, he ends up in Italy. We see the pasta thing throughout, and then that's what he's pursuing. This episode hit really close to home for me when you reach a certain age and you're in your early 30s approaching your mid-30s and you're like, I don't want to have a midlife crisis by the time I turn 50, which is, of course, something that's discussed on this on this episode. Um, then, then you have to make some choices at that point and you have to be comfortable with the choices that you've made and you have to kind of face forward with them. And just little things are occurring throughout this series that really underscore that. Um, the first episode, as we talked about, Plan B, is about some people making that choice fairly early on and choosing to do a certain thing and live a certain way uh, and the benefits and negative uh, aspects of that choice for them. Uh, and we see the choices that the parents made in the second episode. We see the debate over a choice in the third episode with the hot ticket. Who do you give it to? How do you decide? And it goes on and on throughout. So... I think it is a great culmination that it comes up to this when he's cut out of the movie, when, of course, they go to their friend, when he goes to their friend's wedding and he sees how in love those friends seem to be. And he thinks, well, my situation is not like that. Am I wrong then? Should I do this? And then he plays that horrible game. Mike, have you ever played that game with the percentages? I would not have a wedding ring in my left hand if I played that game. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 100% sure that that is true. Yeah. Um, I wonder what playing that game with like Mike Holloway would be like. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 155. 5,000 percent. Mike, I'm 156,000 percent. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. So I, I think that, that that would be funny to see that all play out in other relationships, but I would, I would, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to touch it. And it is interesting because H. John Benjamin's like 70 is good. Like 70 is a good number. You know, like that's not bad. That's passing. You know, you passed. And he's like, no, that's a C minus. Like it's terrible, you know. And so it's different perspectives on, on even the same number. So let alone perspectives on a different number. And even then it's like, well, the, the chance is a hundred, like, because you make a decision that you're going to work together and you're going to work, that you, you, it's a partnership and you're choosing a partner that you know you can work with and, uh, that you can trust and that you, you can trust to be able to deal with you and deal with the problems that you're going to bring to the table and be willing to bring the same level of commitment. And in that regard, both people are a hundred if they're that committed. So it is a little concerning. And, and like I said earlier, I think what I thought is that, Rachel and Dev's similarities were so great, but they were so similar that it also drove them apart in that Mm -hmm. they both were not thrilled with where they were in their career. They both felt that they needed to make a big move. They both felt like time was running out for them to do that big thing and to be different. And so they both uh, end up doing it. And it's a shame that he didn't just follow her to Tokyo uh, because he didn't have anything better going on, but it is powerful that he chose to do his better thing. And it's really funny to me that he sort of mocked eat, pray, love earlier in the, in the yeah. series when he's like, you can always do the eat, pray, love thing. And then he is going on sort of a eat, pray, love weird little vision quest in Italy. Yeah. It, that's, that's, uh, that's, I didn't even pick that up. That's so funny. Yeah. It's, 
I mean, the 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 fact, and like you said, H. John Benjamin, of course, is. I'm glad we got him in one final time to sort of dispense wisdom here. But I, I think the uh, the I think we also we haven't talked too much about like the age period that he falls into too, right? Like he's, I mean, Rachel brings up that she's turning 30, right? So I think this is like the, this is the age when like you need in, in very like broad terms, people start need to start making decisions. These are when people have kids or they get married. We go through all sorts of these life stages over the course of this series. And I think this is, this whole series focuses on like Dev at sort of this pivotal age realizing like, okay, what do I need to do? Do I get married now? Do I have kids now? And he sort of realizes like, I'm just going to sort of clean house and start over at this point, which I think is oddly uplifting, even though their relationship ends, it is sort of an uplifting ending in my opinion, because he sort of is wiping the slate clean and, de- and deciding to start over, which does show some hope. At least that's what the show has inspired me, uh, inspired in me. If, if it, if all these episodes ended the way the first episode ended, and he did the same thing, I think it would have been a little atonal. Uh, but the fact that all these other episodes have this sort of sweeter ending, and the fact that he's kind of off to pursue adventures in Italy, makes me hopeful for what Dev is going to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful for it, but I don't know this. The season two of this show take place in Italy. Uh, that would be a very interesting, very, very interesting. It's all, it's all the the same characters that just speak an Italian accent. <laughs> well, strange that you might mention it. When I started my rewatch, someone had set my Netflix subtitles to French. And so I was like, did I miss this? Was this scene in French the first time? What's, no, what's wrong with me? That's the Easter egg. When you watch it the second time, it changes to French. <laughs> yeah, I was, I completely couldn't believe it. Like that was, it was so odd. You, you would have no idea how many times Aziz surrendered in the fights that he was having. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say though, is that, uh, is that, is Tom is is here's my question is Aziz Ansari going to end up owning or running an Italian restaurant in two different sitcoms that he's been in yeah that's that's his new thing right we have Sean Bean always dies Aziz Ansari always runs an Italian restaurant yes I mean of course it's set up perfectly for him to return to New York as a skilled chef and have a restaurant and be in business and his friends can always be at the restaurant people that come into the restaurant can be part of his storyline just like people that were in you know extras or actors in the commercials or movies he was appearing in were part of his storyline here so it's a perfect opportunity for him to come back and struggle opening a business being different and you could have a season two that takes place in new york um but where he's you know maybe it's a year later uh or two years later year and a half later and he's really skilled uh as a chef at that point and has some real ideas and knows how to do a lot of things so i think that that's the door's entirely open for that it will be perfect if that's where he ends up because she bought him the first pasta machine i think it will be kind of a, a nod to even if they didn't work out, she changed his life and changed it for the best. Uh, and it, it will be the Claire Danes kind of thing where somebody was in your life and it, it could have worked out really negatively. You could have carried around a lot of hostility. But you focused on the good thing that they brought into your life. You made something out of that. You fixed the leg instead of buying a new table and you end up better off at the at the end of it. Yeah, that brings up a great point. And we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded. I mean, I, I haven't heard any news from season two at this point, though. It's only been a few days, though. Renewal news sometimes comes in intermittently now with everything dropping all at once in a streamable format. I mean, A, do you think the show will be renewed? B, should it be renewed? I think it definitely will be renewed. I think that Netflix is is in business to to make more things like this. I, I think that they're best served when their properties have four or five seasons uh, that people can binge, not just a one-off season. I mean, off the top of your head, can you name a show that Netflix only made one season of that isn't possibly coming back or already coming back for a second? I mean, I guess I'm, um, you know, 
I guess uh, Arrested Development's coming back. The Killing was only was a was an auxiliary thing. What Hot American Summer was an auxiliary thing. Um, maybe like is Marco Polo coming back? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe if you shout out its first name, someone will return the second. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the first season should have been called Marco, which would have guaranteed a second season called Polo. Exactly. It's it's it was a flawed marketing strategy on the part of the Netflix. Executives. It really was. It really was. And then somebody could make season three fish out of water, and we would have been yeah. Perfect. Or fourth season Ollie Ollie Oxen Free. Yes. Yeah, we're good. We've got this one. We've got this one booked. They need to call us next time, Mike. Uh, yeah, but I, I think I agree. I think we'll definitely be renewed. I think. That, what about you? Do you think there should be? That's a good question, because I do feel like. Well, first, I don't want Aziz to feel like he is creatively forced into doing this. If he, if it does get renewed, I would want him to go like a Louis slash Curb Your Enthusiasm route, where he does it whenever he wants to. I don't want him to feel like he has to suddenly, because I mean. While he was able to put a lot of himself into this first season, you have to wonder, you know, did he put too much, did he waste too much gas on it? Did he put too much of himself in it so that, you know, if they go back to the well, will they go back to the well too many times during a second season? So if they do renew it, I would hope that, like, if he needs to wait a gap year, he should wait a gap year. I mean, that being said, I am greedy enough that I'd love to see more of it, and I think it has a unique point of view. And those last few episodes, we were really getting some really cool stuff and stuff we usually don't see on TV. Uh, I just hope that a second season wouldn't fall into, you know, some more generic stuff or him deciding to go back to the well on a few things he brought up in this previous season. Yeah, I mean, you could do a parents part two where you focused on other people's parents and you could do, I think that there is, for as many diverse points of view as there are, uh, there are people with diverse uh, uh, parentage backgrounds uh, and upbringing, uh, and that would be a kind of an interesting episode. Uh, I, I should note that um, both parents episodes in terms of the flashbacks really only focused on the dads. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is something that you could do parents with the moms, uh, the second time through. Uh, and I think that that would be really an interesting episode. So some of these things you can do again, some obviously you can't, uh, with the beauty of having kind of one-off actors is you could bring them back, uh, and have something to pull from since you introduced them before. You could also for Netflix, I, I agree completely with you that better to go the curb your enthusiasm route or the Louis route. You make the show when you have the stories to tell. You make the show when you're ready to make it. Um, and I think that there are, Louis can get away with that because of how his profile is and how much money he makes uh, doing other things. I think Aziz can get away with that because his stand-up shows are usually uh, the larger capacity type shows. Successful author uh, will obviously uh, have a lot of money and not, not need to work. I don't know where someone like Alan Yang is sitting. Does Alan Yang need to make TV on a, on a pretty yearly schedule uh, to keep yeah. his family fed? I don't know he, about He's a writer for Bob's Burgers, so he already has that paycheck in his pocket. Okay, that's good. So there, if there, are, you know, the more that there are things like that, the better chance I think that we'll get a second season on their time. And what I would say is, as far as whether it should happen, it, it should happen if they wanted to. I completely agree with you. It should not happen unless they feel like they have the content for a second season. I would hate to see this get watered down by uh, them firing kind of all the bullets in their gun. Uh, but I think there's there's been a lot of talk this week. Uh, in advance of this show premiering, that this sh show sort of establishes Aziz uh, in a way that uh, he had not previously been established as a true comic voice. Uh, as we said, the history of the world, the stand-up philosophers, the commenters of the age, uh, it, this is really establishing him on that level. Um, Lena Dunham had been crowned the voice of a generation. A lot of people rejected that. Uh, I'm not saying Aziz has been crowned that, but uh, I think that uh, you know this does – I agree with the people that are saying – this establishes his comic voice 
And so I don't think we're ever going to have a time where he has nothing to say. He's always going to have something to say about the things that are happening or he's experiencing at the time. Uh, whether or not we're going to have the poignancy or the level of depth uh, or the level of um, just the novel nature of some of these episodes, like uh, like Indians on TV or like parents, I don't know. Uh, but I think there are ways to do it uh, that can continue this for sure and not really lose the shine off of anything. Uh, it's just a matter of when can they bring it back. And, you know, you don't have to get Eric Wareham f- for, you know, 10 episodes. Get him for four or five schedule it correctly and he'll have still have a major presence and that could work out really well yeah i mean i think netflix can now say hey we made what hot american summer work with all the original actors we can definitely make schedules work no matter what yeah we got bradley cooper in a zoot suit i mean i even though he was only on set for like a day and a half yeah. or whatever and he crushed it but we still got it and we still made it happen so we should be able to make eric happen for just a little bit all right, Antonio, any other, any other final thoughts we want to leave on Master of None? Hopefully not leave uh, in the near future, but just to impart on the uh, the first season in general. No, I'm, I mean, I'm, I just feel like uh, I would be surprised if people really didn't like this show. I would, I would like to know why they didn't like it, um, what it is about the show that they didn't like. Are they... Did they want a kind of a multi-cam kind of show or were they looking for a laugh track or a live studio audience? Like, I think that's the only way you could really be turned off by this show. I don't think that the show is bringing things to the table that are, that, that are aggressively not good. I think that it is the, the low bar of this, this show is still very high. Mm-hmm. So I would be curious if, if there's anybody in the comments who watched it or anything that uh, you know you're listening to this tweet at us if you didn't like it I would be curious to know why you didn't like it because very high on the show and I'm very high on the things that it was doing like I really think that the example for uh, of the ladies and gentlemen episode is a perfect example of an episode that isn't beating anyone over the head with you have to be of this certain viewpoint or you're a bad person it's just that okay you should listen to other people sometimes and hear about their experiences and maybe let them impact the way you see the world a little bit Uh, and to the extent that you don't listen to them that's the only thing that you might be doing wrong you don't have to let it change the way you see the world but at least hear them out and I don't know. I, I would be interested to know if people had any issues with anything in this series. Um, there was a great comment uh, from uh, Dan Sineski in our uh, patrons group where he basically said, does anyone have anything less than glowing to say about it? And nobody said anything less than glowing in response. Yeah. I so, think, yeah. you know, I, I just I'm curious if the people who aren't folk, you know, who aren't the targets of this show aren't watching it or I just love to know what people have to say negative about it. Cause it's really great. Otherwise. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I, I think, I think if you're looking for something that's like quirky along the lines of what you said before about Kimmy Schmidt or like 30 rock, this is not a quirky show, which I think, uh, if you're a big parks and recreation fan and you're a fan of like sort of the, the zaniness that comes from that, you're probably not going to get it in this show. There might be, you know, there might be a Paro the robotic seal here and there, but for the most part, it stays very grounded, uh, which is something that I think we both really liked, and it's something I didn't really expect from Aziz Ansari. And I'm also, I, I think this this falls so interestingly into the big spectrum of sitcoms as well. I mean, one of the big things I, I know we talked about Seinfeld a lot this this past hour and a half, but Seinfeld, I mean, then the main 
the main thesis behind it is that like these people never learn from their lessons. They never become good people or they don't, they don't sort of absorb anything that happened to them in the previous half an hour. Whereas this track you know, as you said before, it's not the, all right, folks, here's what the lesson was for today, but you can track Dev's sort of progress or his change in philosophy over the course of these 10 episodes that sort of culminates in a really nice arc for him. And I think that's a really fun way to write sitcoms and especially you know the streaming format allows this all to drop at once too so it's not like you're watching this take place over the course of 10 weeks you can watch this take place over the course of five hours and that's a much different experience than watching it on network tv and i feel like this was a perfect show for a commercial free netflix format because i could you could take an episode like mornings put commercials in it throughout and completely ruin the flow of the episode right because it spent 30 minutes in that apartment with them, you could feel that tension building, and I feel like it's a it's a perfect place to put these episodes up. Yeah, I agree, and it's a it's we talked about this a little bit at the outset, but it is a perfect synergy of kind of a network or or host and a provider uh, in terms of as or content generator in terms of knowing kind of Netflix is is game, and it, there is an interesting kind of thing where. And I, I didn't. It was. I think it was played mostly for humor. I didn't laugh at it that much. But when they're kind of starting their binge watch of Sherlock uh, and just kind of hanging out watching Sherlock, it's like this is what people do nowadays. And I think the fact. I think there, there's this really interesting thing going on right now, Mike, where none of the shows that are new uh, from this fall slate on the networks have been canceled. Networks Whoa. have no networks have no idea right now about what they're doing in terms of creating content, generating content. Should we keep it so we can have something to stream online? Are people going to catch up to this show later in Christmas when they can watch all 10 episodes together? And then maybe the next set of episodes is going to have a longer run. Do we need to be promoting this on Hulu more? Like I, networks don't have a clue right now. And I think Netflix has stopped and started with a few series. And I think that this is one of the best examples of them truly getting it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, Netflix has also, I feel like, been hitting it out of the park in terms of its comedy content specifically. So this is just another another ace in its pocket. But Antonio, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and talk at length about this show uh, with me. I think it's it's something that we both immensely enjoy doing. And I hope that I'm able to, you know, this is definitely one of those shows that I'm going to try to bring my friends in to start watching because it's it's just a really fun and surprisingly deep show. And I, I had it, I had a really great time watching them all and talking about them with you. Yeah, me too, Michael. I really appreciate it. And I've been texting with a lot of people telling them to watch the show. Uh, but I knew that you would be all over it. And I'm glad that we got a chance to sit down and talk about this. And I mean, I I wouldn't have watched it any other way. I was I was uh, happy to knock them all out at once. I, I really appreciated and enjoyed that experience. But I'm also going to enjoy rewatching them over time uh, and looking at it through a little bit of a different lens once I saw it the first time. And I think Netflix shows are brilliant like that. You're right. They're comedy content. It's fantastic. We've got uh, Mr. Show Revival coming oh, up this week. With Bob week and here. David. I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, it's too bad that w- that wasn't done a little earlier, so we could have uh, done a, like a double up here. But, um, but yeah, that's going to be great. There's more to come on Netflix, obviously. Uh, so this is, this is fantastic, and I'm very happy to have a chance to talk about it with you here. I, I, I also, as you said, turning friends onto it, I really do want to know what other people have to yeah. say about the show. So please do leave us comments here. 
on our show page at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet to me. I would love it. I'm at AC Mazzaro. That's with two Zs and one R. And Mike, you are at a Mike Bloom type. Is that right? That is right. And you can check out, uh, if you're a subscriber to Post Show Recaps, which you should be, you're going to hear Antonio's voice and I uh, a lot over the course of every week. Uh, Antonio, what stuff are you covering commonly on Post Show Recaps? Right now, um, <laughs> I don't know how this happened, but on, on Mondays, Josh Wiggler and I talk about The Leftovers, which is a incredible show on HBO. It's devastating drama, uh, but it is fantastic. Well worth the effort to put in to watch that one. Uh, Josh uh, Wiggler and Jeremiah Panhorst and I are talking about Fargo on Tuesdays. So, and that's another one. Uh, that's a very good show. Uh, I would recommend if you haven't watched Fargo yet, just wait and binge it because yeah. I binged the first season and I liked it better binging than I am uh, the the pace of that. It, it's really um, it's really fascinating to watch that all play out. There's a ten episode cable show and then Josh and Rob Sesternino and I do most shows recapped as we talked about here uh, and this is kind of the bonus episode of most shows for this week. So that's awesome. Yeah. As, as always, you can find me covering Once Upon a Time with Kurt Clark. Uh, over here on Posture Recaps uh, that usually drops around Monday or Tuesday. I would recommend not binging that show because a lot goes on. Uh, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, we take an hour and a half to talk about an hour-long show, and even then we skimp on some details. So, But it's a lot of fun. But check out, I mean, there's a lot of Posture Recaps content coming out in the first few days of the week to uh, accommodate your commute. So please subscribe and feel free to listen. Antonio, thank you so much for coming on again to talk to me. Are we going to go with, with Cronenberg cake for our hashtag? I, that's too... I, so hard how do we do that i don't know i don't have a better hashtag for you well what about kakenberg kakenberg is it b-u-r-g-b-e-r-g i'm so confused b-e-r-g so c-a-k-e-n-b-e-r-g i think that's yeah i think that's that's that can work (laughs) all right we can send that we can send that uh that hashtag out our way if you like this uh show and you want to say anything to us about it tweet with that hashtag um but use the master of non-hashtag too because People troll those hashtags and they'll find out about our podcast. Or way. just send us a picture of a turtle coming out of a suitcase. Yeah, but, yeah people want to know what that turtle's up to, man. That's very curious. Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll take three hours to cover it when season two comes about. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Take care. Somebody came and took your bed, don't worry.